Hey everyone, welcome to this Not So Common Podcast with Pat Country. That's me, Pat Country. It is Tuesday, August 21st, 2018. How's everyone doing? How's your summer going? Is it balmier than usual there? Are you alright? You okay? You got the you got the AC on? I got the fan going. I don't actually don't have AC downstairs. San Diego, most people don't have air conditioning because it's usually nice and temperate. Not a lot of not a lot of humidity going on, but it was, it was humid this past summer. It's a little bit. It's, it's better now though. Castle Country's coming along well. That's fine. That's all good and dandy. Um, we'll be talking about a few different things on this uh, solo Nasacom podcast. And I am, yeah, I'm, not, I'm, I'm getting guests again. Don't worry. I, some of you uh, don't like me solo. Some of you like me solo, not Han Solo. I didn't see that movie. Still, still won't. But uh, what's been going on? Uh, today in the political world, uh, Trump's foyer, former, former foyer, foyer, Trump's former lawyer, Michael Cohen pled guilty to eight counts. Ugh, Paul Manafort, uh, was convicted on eight accounts. That was Trump's ex campaign manager and aficionado. Not, not so good in, uh, in Trump land. That's for sure. It's probably the beginning of the end, uh, there, but what are you going to do? Uh, what are you going to do? Right. You know, it's just, uh, Political corruption, as usual. I'm proud to be working with RX bars. You've probably have seen them in the past. You've eaten them. I have. They are yummy protein bars. RX bar wants to build things the right way. RX bar believes in the power of transparency and lets the core ingredients do all the talking with all of them listed on the front of the packaging. They're listed right there. For example, this is the peanut butter chocolate. You get three egg whites, 14 peanuts, two dates, no BS. That's it. This other one, this one is blueberry, three egg whites, six almonds. Four cashews, two dates, and that's it. That's that's all you got in here. That's all you get. Uh, you're going to recognize them because they, they always have the egg whites for protein. There's dates to bind it all together. There's nuts for texture and other delicious ingredients like unsweetened chocolate, real fruit and spices like sea salt or cinnamon. RX bars are gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free. Whether you like sweet or savory, chocolate or fruit flavors, there's definitely an RX bar for you. No artificial colors, no artificial flavors, preservers, or fillers. It's good for breakfast on the go, snack at the office. I keep one of my cars sometimes. Throw it in your bag for the plane. Toss it in your backpack for a bike ride or a hike. Pre and post workout snack. Egg white protein stands out as a source of protein that is easy for your body to absorb. There's 14 delicious varieties. There's the peanut butter and blueberry ones, like I just said. I also got here coconut chocolate, mixed berry, which I've eaten before, which is delicious. There's apple cinnamon, maple sea salt, chocolate sea salt, peanut butter and berries. I said that before. There's peanut butter, normal peanut butter, and a lot more. Coffee, chocolate, if you want a little bit of a kick there. So, you can get 25% off your first order by visiting rxbar.com slash notsocommon and entering code notsocommon at checkout. See what they have to offer. Give it a try. If you had them before, this is a good deal for you. Again, for 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com slash notsocommon and enter code notsocommon at checkout and get your yummy protein bar eaten on today. I want to talk about um, something that's near and dear to my heart that was on ESPN. And that is, that is Little League, Little League Baseball. So Little League is actually the, a brand name. Like there's there's uh, like, like Babe Ruth baseball. It's it's like children's baseball. Little League's a brand. Like on the NES, it's Little League baseball. That's like an association you join. If your league qualifies, you pay in, you know, fees to them. 
So it became like the Kleenex versus tissue or Vaseline versus petroleum jelly. Like that became like the, the brand name became it. Like people say they want to get a Coke when they just want a, a, a cola, for example. So when all of us say, or a lot of us say that we played Little League Baseball, we really, we really probably didn't play Little League Baseball, even though that's the association that ends up having the international tournament that's on right now, and they have a championship, and it's on ESPN. And it's great coverage. It's fantastic. All, all The Major League Baseball teams come out. The Mets and the the, uh, the Phillies were there for games game since they, they played locally on a smaller field. Not smaller field. like a, Well, small in terms of like maybe 2,000 people could have been in attendance, but they played in like a, a local local park, a real game. Now they're starting to do this every year, which is great for outreach because baseball, baseball's demographic is is coming more older. I think I saw that the average baseball fan's age is like 50, 57, which is way too old um, in order to get new fans. And it, it is sort of slowly becoming like a relic game. I'm not going to say baseball is going to be gone in five years from now. But if this trend continues 30, 40 years from now, yeah, baseball can be relegated to like a sort of like a fourth or fifth sport. There's the chance for that to happen. Baseball is a harder game to get organized. You have to have a, ba- a proper baseball field in order to play it properly versus a basketball court. You just get a hoop somewhere. It's a lot easier. Or soccer, you put up a goal. Or even or even street hockey, you, know, you put up a net somewhere and you play. Uh, baseball, you need a full team to have a real game. So you need like 18 people. It's hard to have like three-on-three baseball. It's a much more harder game to get acclimated to. It's also the most complicated game in terms of rule set. You play tennis, you hit a ball over a net, and you can't let it bounce twice. You play hockey, you got to put it in a net. You play soccer, you got to put the ball in the net. You play football, you throw the ball, you cross the line, you got to tackle the person. Baseball, you have to know, um, you know, all the the rules in terms of the boundaries and three balls for a strikeout, four balls for a walk, infield fly rule. You got to know all this weird stuff: tagging up. Um, stealing bases, doubling off runners. It, it's a whole different game on both sides of offense and defense as well. And they're totally different skill sets. So it, you can make the argument, I do, that that in terms of the variety of skills you need, baseball is the most complicated. You have to know how to throw well, field, hit, run, uh, the bases. These are totally different skills that you have to, you know, in or, uh do well at, and they're totally non-relating. Being able to throw a fastball is totally different than being able to hit a baseball being thrown at you. So that said, I love baseball, though. I love playing it. I still see a couple games a year in San Diego, and I grew up with my version of Little League. It was, you know, the local baseball league for, for children ages like 4 to like 15 or so, and I played it for like 11 years, and I had a great time with it. And you do learn a lot of uh, teamwork. You you learn uh, sportsmanship. You learn how to talk to others when you're a five year old shy, chubby, fat pet. It's good that you're on a team with people because you're more acclimated talking to each other. You know, after a while, you get used to it. And you know the kid's name, and you and you and you, th- you throw the ball to each other, and then you do double plays and stuff like that. And even though when you're smaller, it's 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 a really a little league game when you're smaller because you throw the ball away a lot and you can't. It's hard to even have a, a regular you know ground ball out. If, if shortstop gets the ball when you're five years old, that ball might end up hitting a person in the stands. It may not even get to the first baseman. But I enjoy little league. I really did. I was probably I would say a better than average hitter on a good day. I um I I can make contact most of the time. There were some seasons where I was worse than others, where I struck out a lot. But overall, 
I got better. I, I hit line drives. I did okay, even though I batted near the bottom of the lineup a lot because I was chubby pat. But I, I surprised people with with my hitting and with my speed. I was I was still uh, bases every now and then too. Chubby, chubby steals. Uh, in, ter- in terms of the uh, on the other side of the ball, ugh, I, I was pretty good at like fielding grounders and like line drives and pop ups. I was okay at. I got better in terms of judging fly balls when I played the outfield. And when you're when you're in little league. Uh, or children's baseball. You don't get sued by the Little League brand. Uh, you play everywhere. You play. I played catcher. I played first base I was good at. I played third base a lot. Second, I played the outfield. Uh, rarely ca- catcher and very rarely pitcher uh, because they didn't like the fact that you weren't supposed to curve the ball in Little League because it's supposed to be damaging to your elbow. Well, my arm motion had a natural curve to it. So I so the ball would would curve naturally. I guess how I delivered it, and they would like take me out of the game because of that. Because whenever I threw the ball, it wasn't necessarily straight. Um, but in fielding the ball, I was okay. But in terms of throwing the ball, I was not good. I would overthrow a lot the ball. So if I got if I fielded the ball at third base and I I threw it over the first baseman's head like twenty five percent of the time, it was not good. Or I'd bounce it short. I was never good at at that sort of a. Uh, Depth, I guess the depth perception in terms of of throwing it uh, to a base if it was across the field, but uh, but it was it was a good time, uh, little league. It, it was great, and these kids are are having the times of their lives playing these games uh, versus other great sportsmanship. I've been watching great plays, but you know, in terms of my experiences, I, I have a, I have a lot of stories when it comes to little league, and I figured I, I never shared them on the on the CU podcast. I might as well uh, share them now. So. My little league had first of all we didn't have like officially like majorly branded uh, apparel. It was all the name of the baseball league on the shirts. We had the white pants the, with the stirrups, and then the hats were all sponsored hats. So it would, it would be like John's Plumbing or uh, Joey's Paint Supply Store. That's the hats that we would have, and they would just say, "Well, um, they'd have like a draft night." And they say like, oh, well, you're going to be on the whatever, the Orioles. You're going to be on the A's. And the color might match. Like if you're on the Mets, you might have like a royal blue uh, shirt. Or the Royals, you have a light blue. But, you know, it was really like, um, I don't know, uh, Phil's Auto Supply Store. Like that's really the team you were on. That was the sponsor. So it was always a little cheesy and, and cheap because of that. But there was, a, you know, there was a there's a charm to that, I suppose. There's a there's definitely a, a charm to that, but I'll never forget uh, the first team I was on was the Athletics, the A's, and to this day it's probably one of the only I, I root for the the Baltimore Orioles and the A's when it comes to uh, American League teams because I like the color schemes I like the green and the gold, and I do like the Orioles orange I do like that I like the cute little uh, Oriole face the cartoon face so. The first time I went to practice, when I was probably five years old, I'll never forget this. The night before, I was five or six in Little League when it started. And at that level, it was, you know, T-ball or the coaches would pitch to you. It was, there was like, uh, I think they had like uh, names for leagues. Like there was like Cub League, Minor League, Major uh, Leagues. So Cubs and Minor Leagues played on a small field, a smaller like Little League field. Where it was probably you know two hundred feet to the to the the outfield fence, you know, um, and then major played on a, like a major league size park, which is what I did for the last three or four years. I played like it was like three hundred feet to left field, 
but once you got to the minors, you were pitched to by by a, like a child would pitch to you. But in the Cub League, it was it was just uh, T-ball, which would last forever. No one could feel it anyway. Or it would be coaches would just keep throwing the ball to you until they said, okay, you had 10 tries, uh, Johnny, you can sit down. So it was me in the Cub League on the A's. And I watched, uh, I watched the night before the first ever practice. I was excited as a kid. I watched America, uh, not America's Most Wanted. I watched Unsolved Mysteries. And I watched that as a kid. My parents probably shouldn't let me watch that because there was some horrific crimes. There was ghost stuff. Probably why I'm partially screwed in the head. I can only fall asleep watching forensic files. But I did watch Unsolved Mysteries. And sometimes they'd have the update uh, during it. So um, what happened in this episode... Oh, this wasn't an update. That's right. It was, it was a tale of a of a person who I think murdered someone. Then they escaped prison and were on the lam. And if I swear to God, they showed the sketch artist picture of the man. I, I remember the sunken eyes. You know, I remember the little hair on top. I swear to God, if that wasn't a spitting image, that sketch art of my first year coach that I saw the next day, it was. I, and I'm not saying I didn't have an imagination as a kid. But when I saw the coach's face, I was terrified. I was horrified. I told my father about that. I said, that was the guy on Unsolved Mysteries. And that Unsolved Mysteries guy, like, he escaped years and years before. So it wasn't out of the realm of possibility that that was the same guy. That was on the lam. He killed someone five, ten years ago. And now he is here uh, coaching Little League Baseball. And I remember at the time being just scared the whole season. I would stay near like the, the you know the other like uh, coach like uh, the other uh, coaches, which are usually the fathers of the other players and the assistant coaches, and, and staying away from that guy. And to this day, I don't know if that was true. I do know this. I do know this, and this is a fact: is that that year that that guy coached me was the only year I ever saw that guy coach. The next year and the years after, I remember looking for that guy. Because I, I would have been, I would have been around him. He would have been coaching, uh, you know, his son. Because his son, when he grew older, he would have advanced with him. Never saw that guy again after that first year. That probably been like '86, something like that. So that was my run-in with uh, a creepy coach the first year. They weren't all creepy though. They weren't all creepy. Um, I had, a, I had a one great coach. There was one coach I had three or four years in a row. And I think he was one of the sponsors. I think he had a paint, a paint store, a painting store for selling, you know, paint cans and accessories and things like that. He was a great coach. He was like the nicest guy in the world. He was probably like when you're young, you picture everyone being so old. He was probably a guy in his, you know, early to mid thirties at the time. He was my coach for four straight years, probably from ages. I want to say like probably eight or nine to 11 or 12, somewhere in that range. Good coach. Good guy, nicest guy in the world. Uh, his son was on the team, and um, he was fair to everyone. You know, he played everyone at a different base. See, what, see, in my little league, you um, everyone batted no matter what. You batted if it was like usually twelve or thirteen players on a team, so the batting order was thirteen people, not just nine. And the rule was that you every kid had to play at least one inning somewhere. But he would do better in that he would play every kid everywhere. You know, it's like who cares about winning or losing uh, when you're a kid? 
I'll get to that in a second. But he was a he was a, 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 a great a great coach. They weren't all bad. However, I will say this: there was uh, an assistant coach who was a father of another child, and I don't remember if it was on that team or one of the others around then, because they kind of blur when you play little league for like ten, eleven straight years. There was a coach that I could say with confidence was most likely a child molester that I saw one or two years around a team that I was on, especially one year for sure. And it, this was a creepy guy. This was a guy that I felt weird around. Um, I remember a uh, one time in particular, th- this would happen when um, he, w- he would be around me when, you know, at the end of the game or the practice when there's a lot, not a lot of people around. And he would, um, I think one time he pretended to wait with me and he would sit close to me and, you know, he wasn't doing anything really outright weird, but like he'd put like his hand on you, like on your shoulder or maybe just like, uh, you know, on your arm. And it did, it felt weird. Like even as like a seven or eight year old, some alarm went off, like some sort of weird, uh, molester pet a radar went off when I was young, knowing that this guy is weird. He's not like other adults, other adult men that I've been around. Something is strange here. And so after the first time he sat near me, and this is out in the open, um, there's probably other people like 30, 40, 50 feet away, but it's not like people are paying attention to us. And I remember because most of the time my mom worked and my dad worked. So my dad would work till like six o'clock. So uh, most of the time he couldn't even see my games or pick me up for practice. On the weekends, he could. My mom also worked. She worked part-time, but there's a lot of times I had to wait for her because she wouldn't get to work till maybe 4 or 4.30, and that's when like practice would end. So I knew to stay away from this guy. I remember the, the one time he got near me, I just sort of got up and walked across the street. There was a road, you know, a, a road next to like these two fields, and I walked across the street and waited for my, my father or mother. I forget. Um, I don't remember if I ever told my father or mom how creeped out I was I don't think I did um, because when you're a kid I don't know how you explain it yeah this f- fucking older guy is a creep and I feel uncomfortable around him but now you know geez, when you're like 7 years old that, that's a tough thing to talk about uh, for sure I hope that that piece of trash didn't prey upon other kids you probably tried to you know, you, you hope you hope for the best, but that was the only like really weird situation that that ever happened to me like that in terms of a potential molester. Uh, that was it through through literally. That was the only time that ever possibly occurred. You know, unfortunately, I didn't have any priest stuff happen. I I know a, a friend who I won't say who who he his brothers might have been touched by you know, a Catholic priest, but I won't get into that because that's all hearsay and allegedly it happened. What for me though, that was the only time where that guy was, that guy was dangerous and uh young chubby Pat had the instincts to know that that guy was, was, was a creep. So I stayed away from him there. Um, yeah. I haven't probably thought about that, that, that much in a while going through these stories, but yeah, that guy was a fucking creep and he had a creepy mustache too. He had a, he had a, a pet, a mustache. Uh, other than that, other than like weird coaches that might have wanted to molest me and uh, an escape prisoner coaching my first year, um, I had a drunk coach one year. Uh, a drunk coach with a big, big, he had like a mullet and a beard, talking like eighties. Hey, you talk like this, just show up, and you know, I might have like a cooler, a bearer on the side by the bench, and the the stereotypical like drunken 
coach for kids. Like, that was him. That was him. And he was loud, obnoxious. It was mostly okay. But I encountered him later on in something that happened. So he was a, he was a, not the worst coach, but he was a drunk. And the reason I know that is because I had a, had a, a cop who was a coach years later who even said that, yeah, that guy got allegedly uh, busted for a DUI. Um, so that, that one coach was weird. But, it, but in terms of drunk parents being around us, it, it was super competitive. Um, Sometimes when you're eight, nine years old and parents do try to live vicariously through you and the moms are the moms yelled. They were vicious at times. And most of the times they'd root for you like, yeah, go pad and go. Sometimes they were. They got a little bit too much. They, they might have had a cocktail or two in the late afternoon. I don't know. I'm only eight years old. I can't tell these things. Hopefully my mom wasn't drinking at these games. My mom was probably usually pretty cool about it. But there were times where it got a little weird. Um as an aside, there was one year where I got hit a lot, hit by the, hit by the ball as as I was batting. It was like we played like fifteen games a year. I probably got hit nine or ten games out of there, like butt, back, arm, helmet, probably once, knee, leg, whatever. So I, I was used to standing closer to plate. That probably wasn't why it happened. But one time, the ball almost hit me. It was way inside, and. My father reiterated the story. My father was there. My father almost got in a fight with someone because a parent sitting on the, the bleachers on the side said to him, that's right, brush him back in reference to brushing me back from the plate with the pitch. Keep in mind, I am probably no older at this point in time than 9 or 10 years old when this event occurred. And my dad said later, he gave him a look like, and he, my dad still brings this story up to this day, where my dad gave the guy a look like, what the fuck? And, you know, that that was sort of a weird thing that happened. So, you know, the parents were definitely competitive. They're, they definitely wanted their kids to be successful, and they probably took it too seriously. But all in good fun, all in good fun. The one thing that did bother me, though, uh, as a child, and this started when, when it was just T-ball and the coaches pitching to you, is that the coaches would try to pretend that it was a tie game. Uh, which was obviously bullshit. You're five years old, six years old. You can count using your fingers and know who scored more runs. So, so we ask at the, we ask at the end of the game, well, who won? And the coaches and, and the parents would go, well, it was a tie game. No one won. And we're like, yeah, we know who won. They know they lost, or we know who they lost. So we line up for the good game, and that was always fun. Sometimes they like spit on their hands at kids or rub them in dirt and like say shit to you as you you know as you did good game across the. You know, across the uh, home plate, slapping hands, but um, that was bad. I understand. You know, maybe not want to have kids cry by saying, "Ah, oh, you lost the game." You got to give kids credit, though. We can take a we can take a hit, and it's probably better to get the whole "there are winners and losers at sports" out of the way as a lesson when you're five versus you know having that lesson come a lot later. They, and they try to keep that up even when you're six, seven, eight, and probably nine years old. But we knew better. We're kids. You know, you, there's winners and losers in life when it comes to competition, sports, school, you know, um, creativity, jobs. It's a lesson that has to be taught. And so I'm totally not down with, with that when it comes to, you know, the new age way of teaching kids that now we're all the same. You know, there's no winners and losers. No, there's winners and losers. There are benchmarks for competition and for uh, judging yourself, a measuring stick to judge yourself against others. Otherwise, how do you succeed in life?
some people have to be worse than others at some aspects. That's just that's just the way it is. You know, I understand softening that blow a little bit, but we can count, coach. I know I, I scored like two runs. I know my my buddy uh, Kevin scored a few runs. I know we won like probably eighteen to fifteen. You know, when the kids are hitting off a tee ball because no one can field the ball and getting out. We're not totally stupid, coach. We might be a child molester. So getting back to that, I brought up the coach. Um, the coach was a cop who was really cool. A guy's probably like early thirties, and he didn't even have he. I don't think he didn't have a son. He just wanted to coach the kids. It was just a great guy. I hope he's doing well. I think he ended up becoming a detective uh, later, and uh, he coached me. I think two years, and uh, one of the better coaches I had. Positive attitude, Italian guy. Hey, Jersey Italian, and uh, we got to the championship game that year. So this is, I was probably 11 or 12 by then, uh, 12, 13, somewhere in there. And by that point in time, yeah, they had a champion. They had like a playoffs and a championship there. And we got to the, we got to the championship game and it was literally something out of a movie with me where, you know, the game is tied up. It goes to the last inning. Oh, excuse me. No, no. We were down by a couple runs. We go to the last inning. Two outs, the base is loaded, and Chubby Pat with a bat comes up to the plate. And there it is. And at the time, I'm like, wow, this is out of a movie. This is out of something I've seen. This is out of, like, a major league or, you know, Bull Dorm or whatever, whatever I saw when I was younger. I don't think I saw The Natural when I was younger or Field of Dreams. Red Field of Dreams, better book than the, uh, probably the movie, then, from what I heard. So Pat comes up, and I'm always batted, like, way down in the order. Um... For whatever reason, I don't know why. I, I was never the coach's son or sons, or they always were bad up front. But I was bad at like seventh or eight. One time, I did ask, "Hey, why don't you like bat pat, bat pat like second or third? Because you know he makes contact. He's not always going to strike out." And the coach said, "Oh, we need some hitting at the bottom of the order. Like it's a fucking major league game for God's sake. Like let me bat up in the order every once in a while." That cool coach I mentioned before that I was there for four years. He would actually rotate the order, so we'd have like a set order, and wherever the last out was made, that's where the next. Uh, the next game, the next batter would start as first. So he was totally fair. Great guy. But anyway, back to the, the, the cool coach as well, the the, uh, the cop coach. Championship game. Pat comes up to the plate. Two outs. We're down by like two runs. Bases are, 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 are loaded. I hit my cleats with the bat. I'm ready to go. Here it is. Here's my moment. The pitcher comes in, and he throws the pitch over the plate. And I was always good at first ball of the plate. I'll swing. I'll get that. I'll get a solid hit. The pitcher throws a change up just to get it over. Probably realize that, hey, I can probably strike this guy out. He won't hit it because he's down in the order. It screws me up as a kid. Um, it screws up my timing. So I like halfway want to hit it. So I hit it. And Pat wins the game. No, no, not exactly. I hit a line drive, semi-soft line drive straight into the second baseman's mitt. We lose the championship game. And it wasn't something that hit me hard at the time that I did not end up becoming the hero, that I I didn't blow the game, but I didn't win the game for us. I think I accepted that, hey, you know, I hit the ball. I did my best. Was I annoyed? Yeah. Was I upset a little bit? Yeah, because normally if a ball is coming in like that and I know it's coming, I could have smashed that ball into the gap. I would at least got a base hit and, and tied the game, if not won it, and I would have been the hero. But everyone, t- I remember my team. No one, on my team was pissed off because they realized, hey, you hit it. It was an out. What are you going to do? My coach, that coach was super fucking cool. 
And it's like, it's like nothing to be ashamed of. Put his arm around me, nothing to be ashamed of. You did your best. I'm proud of you. So it was one of those things where it didn't, it wasn't like a moment in time. And unfortunately, my father was going to be a type of person that would yell at me for screwing up. You know, my father probably the only person that he would yell at me if my effort wasn't good. He wouldn't, he wouldn't yell at me if, if I made an effort and did my best. And if I failed, you know, at least you tried. So that was, that was an experience for sure. Uh, we've got second place trophies. You know, I'm, I, it's one of the few trophies I have. It's the only sports trophy I have, by the way. I think I ended up going to the dinner. They had a dinner at the end of the year. You know, and and that's how my little league career was. It was all right. Um, I wasn't good enough to make the high school team because I was chubby pat still in high school. And like I said, like I was a decent hitter, but not good enough to like make a like a high school team. And my and my fielding was all right, but it wasn't good enough. I'd be good for like a pickup team somewhere or intramural, but not for like a high school team. Even though I tried out, I failed. But I have another story where um, I encountered that drunk coach I had one year with with the mullet and the, and like the the beard or mustache he had. Oh, I talk like this. So on the major league field, I never I never hit for power as a kid. I never did. The most I would probably get like I could hit like. 20 feet from the wall and get like a double. I got some triples every now and then. Uh, but, you know, no home runs for me. I don't think I even got an in-the-park home run. So when he went to the biggest field, though, it was a large field. There wasn't a fence in center field or right field, but in left field, up to left center, there was a, there was a fence there. Uh, there was a fence about probably 290, 300 feet out. Um, major league sort of uh, distance. And I'm probably like 13 years old, maybe 14. And it's one of my last years, if not the last year I'm playing. And I come up to the plate. I had, I, I remember the coach, my coach that year, ooh, was that the last year or second last year? But anyway, but the drunk guy who coached one year was the opposing coach. A pitch comes in, fastball down the middle. I hit it, towering fly ball to left field. It goes over the fence. Yay, home run. I go around first. I'm getting the second. That drunk coach, oh, well, wait a minute. That went under the fence. It didn't go over. He walks out onto the field. He walks out onto the field and starts arguing with the umpire that I did not hit a home run. And here I am. This is the only home run of my career. I'm jogging around. And I'm like, I'm like jogging. And oh, that went under the fence. No, that's a ground rule double. I went under the fence. And. The left fielder at the time of the other team was this little guy. I'll never forget. He was honest, and he said, oh, yeah, I went over. And then, so then the coach, the opposing coach, yells, basically, said, oh, are you sure about that? And pressured the kid to say, well, I don't know. So it goes from my moment of glory, my only home run as a child, the home run, the best thing you can do in probably individual sports. It's my time. The focus is on me. Going around, jogging around, fat chubby pat, jogging around those 90-foot bases, base paths slowly. And the ump calls it back as a ground rule double. My mom wasn't there to see that. My dad, if they were, they would probably been so pissed they would have yelled at it. At, at this fucking drunk piece of shit who has to be that stringent about a game that did not matter. It wasn't a playoff game or championship game. It was just a fucking game. Give me my stupid home run, you drunk. You fucking drunk. Give Pat, give Chubby Pat his home run. That's all I asked for was that one, that one uh, minor 
moment of glory. That's all I ask. Couldn't have that. Couldn't have that. Fucking drunk. Anyway, my last uh, season of Little League was, I think, in high school. I think it was freshman year or sophomore. Like, you had to be turning like 15 in order to be your last year or turning 16, something like that. And uh, I remember the last year not really being as fun or either – not that I was over it, but you're doing Little League for like 10, 11 years. It's time to call it a career at that point. And probably it soured me that I didn't make the team freshman year as well. So I'm like, why am I playing Little League still? I didn't make the real team. I should be done with this. I'm not, not good enough to make the, you know, the traveling teams or you know, things of that nature. So I remember the last game, the playoff game comes, and I skipped it. It was my decision to skip it because I was going to um, – a tryout, a movie tryout, believe it or not, at a uh, YMCA, I believe in uh, Bayonne, for uh, the movie Sleepers. The movie Sleepers that had, uh, what was it, uh, had uh, Brad Pitt, it had uh, De Niro, um, yeah, 1996 movie, so it was 96, so I was just turning uh, 16. Kevin Bacon, uh, Dustin Hoffman, Jason Patrick. So it's about the kids, um, yeah, the kids from a detention center who are fucking uh, beaten and... and, and I think raped by these these fucking uh, juvenile delinquent like guards that are just awful. And then when they're older, they get revenge and they kill them. Um, that's what this movie is about. So um, I tried out as one of the kids. You know, Kevin Bacon uh, beats the shit out of Pat. That would have been funny uh, 20 years later. So my dad never got over that. The fact that I gave up my last game. And it would have been my last game if we had won. But the fact that it was the last game of my Little League career, he, he couldn't stand that that was the case. And I went with my friend, too, to this audition. In, uh, no, it's probably 95. If they came out in 96, it was in 95. So my last year was 95 when I was 15. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so, so I go to the audition. I obviously didn't get the movie or else I wouldn't be on a podcast. I'd be acting in, in, you know, in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. But... <laughs> My dad never got over that, and he brought it up two years ago that he was pissed that I skipped, skipped my last game. I never understood why he was so pissed at that. It, it was always a, not amusing to me, but he brought it up even a couple years ago. Like, like It was like he was disappointed in me that I skipped that last game. So I guess my dad always loved the fact that I did the baseball, and he was proud of me for doing that. But that was something that bothered him that I skipped that last game, even though well, I would not have remembered that last game. You know, our team was not good that year. My last year it wasn't like the other team where we went to the championship. We lost like over half the games, if I remember correctly. I would have done all right, whatever. I get a hit. You know, I make an error. I make an out. Who cares? But that was the, I guess, the uh, deflated end of my Little League Baseball career, my anticlimactic end. Trying out for the movie Sleepers, just get beaten with a nightstick by Kevin Bacon. It didn't happen. I'm, I'm sad about that. Really sad. But if you have kids out there, I will recommend getting your kids into softball or baseball or any team sports, uh, soccer or basketball, because it does it does teach uh, camaraderie and, and sportsmanship. And teamwork is a very important skill to have. Just make sure there's no fucking weirdo uh, problem molester dads out there or fucking drunk uh, parents. Keep them away. Let's do a little Q&A here before I wrap it up and get some and get some dinner. Let's say we do that. Uh, this is from this is from at Dilly Flaps. I love that name. Living in a social media accountability era. Do you think it sucks? People get publicly dragged over coals for the most minor things, and everyone needs to voice their opinion. In my opinion, it's lame. 
Uh, I've talked about social media before, and I always get people responding. I try to say about but social media is mostly bad overall to the to the to the public, to the electorate. It divides us more than brings us together. It uh, crystallizes differences in opinion. It's echo chambers that are created. It, it brings out the worst in us tribalistically. It absolutely does. Uh, it's like form behavior on steroids is what social media like Facebook and Twitter is. Especially, well, both. Facebook is awful. Twitter can be awful as well. Um, the fact that everyone can voice their opinion is fine. But on Twitter, uh, the smaller voices can get... Basically, they can get a megaphone in front of their voice, and so it sounds louder. And the more people that like a tweet or retweet a tweet, or it, it makes their voice raise. So it is democratic in a way, which is great when it comes to social media in that aspect. But yeah, some people do go overboard in terms of going after someone. And I, I think with social media, what people forget is that people can make mistakes. And on social media, it's easier to to go for the dagger and throw it at someone's face or throw it at someone's groin area if you prefer because it's quick and easy to do that because you're, you don't know the person on social media. You don't know that person on Twitter. You just heard they did something bad or you think they did. You think they're an asshole. You're going to go after them no matter what and who cares about the results because you know it's not like you're calling them out in person. It's not like you got to deal with that person later. You're not going to see them at social events. There is a person, there's a celebrity or someone you might have heard of that did something bad or, or said something you disagree with. Um, and so, so who cares, right? So, and that's what happens if you talk about social media accountability. Is that what what's happening? Is that is that some people have deserve to get called out on their shit? Absolutely. Um, but there's no judge and jury to like what is the the level of punishment. So if I make a bad joke that someone might think crosses the line and is misogynist or slightly sexist, there's there's no like uh, Twitter rules to say well you're you're allowed to get people yelling at you or saying you should retract that, but they shouldn't go after you know your employer. There's no rule that says that. Some people will take it upon themselves to go after your employer or your associates. Or to say, well, do you agree with this person, what they said? You know them. Do you, or do you want to so associate with this person before? So that that's a, a sort of accountability that hasn't really existed before social media where there it, it's, it's uh, direct. People have a direct lifeline to people, not just you, but people that you know. And they can find out who you're employed by or people that you're friends with people that loved ones, things of that nature. It's direct and it, it, it can be so quick and there can be some sort of a viral nature to a backlash that before, if you say, say you said something people disagreed with or, or had a bad joke in person, people can say, well, I don't agree with that. It's kind of shitty. You said that. And be like, Oh, I'm sorry. You know, you can explain why, or may, maybe the context was, wasn't take, was taken out of context, the comment. So you can have a real interaction with someone and come to an understanding that, Hey, even if you disagree with, with what someone said politically or socially, at least you understand that's a person. Now it doesn't matter because with social media, they're not a person anymore. They're a name and a little avatar, and that's all they are to you. So it's a lot easier with less guilt to say, oh, you're an asshole, you're a misogynist, you're a sexist, you're a racist, I hate you. You're a, you're, you know, you're, you're a liberal, you're a conservative, fuck you. You're a Republican, I hate you. You're a Democrat, I hate you. It's easier to do that because to them, now, now they're, 
they're a, a symbol of something you don't like versus an actual person. You would never go to a party and discuss politics with someone and say, like, fuck you, you, you liberal, or, or, or go to hell, you Trumper. You wouldn't say that to someone in person because there would be, a, there'd be real accountability to that because you would be like, what the hell is going on? You're, we're having interaction. We're human beings. You know, even when we disagree, we have to get along, don't we? You know, I don't want you throwing, like, the shrimp cocktail at me. I don't want, you know, you dumping your margarita on me. I don't want, you know, fists to be thrown around, you know, around the pool. And, we, you know, then I get to... We have to act civilized, right? So civility and social media don't necessarily go together, unfortunately. It's not a requirement to be civil on social media. Sometimes some people do things to get a rise out of people. They do things to get a laugh. They do things sometimes to cater to their inner circle or their, their base, like their political base or social base. There's a lot of that that happens on, on Twitter. People have a social base. So everyone that follows them uh, has the same social beliefs to a T, sometimes political beliefs or a combination thereof. So when they go after someone, they are catering to their fan base to do the same. And I've seen that happen to people I know. Uh, I've been a semi-target of that at, at times uh, from people that I've mentioned before on the podcast. So social media makes it easy to engage with people. It makes it easy to um, loft around and toss around different ideas. But again, it's not good for real in-depth discussion. 240 characters and things can take out of context. And it's also um, not good, though, when people make a mistake. And it seems like with social media, you're no longer allowed to make a mistake. You know, and I'm not saying that every mistake is, is, it holds the same weight. But you know, people's lives shouldn't be totally ruined because they make a comment. You know, if, if we start scrubbing everyone's timelines the past 10, 15 years, no one's going to be able to run for office uh, politically, you know, 20 years from now. Everyone, everyone's Facebook and, and, and social media posting and Twitter and MySpace will be scrubbed. And be like, oh, well, look, this person, they were, you know, doing bong hits, you know, when they were 14 or they, they were doing this or that. They, they made a bad joke. And people should be allowed second chances sometimes third chances. They should be allowed to, to evolve. Um, yeah. People say some awful things when they're, when they're kids. Uh, a few baseball players got in trouble uh, for posting things as teenagers that were racist. Horrible things. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, now people are going after them when they're older, they're in their 20s or 30s. At, at some point, you have to realize that these people, they might be different than what they were 10, 12, 15 years ago when they were younger. They might be. They might have changed. And and so, but at the time, though, people don't want to hear that. So that, that's two different issues I'm getting to. I'm getting, I'm conflating them. It's it's what you say now, but what did you say 15 years ago that people have a problem with, too? And there should be allowances for some sort of, you know, allowance of, of saying awful things in growth. I think that's a, that's a reasonable thing to say, I hope. I hope. But, you know, everyone should be allowed opinion on social media. That's that's pretty much the point. If you wear contact lenses and find yourself dreading that annual appointment to renew your prescription, then you're going to love Simple Contacts. It's a great new company that makes 
This annoying process, very simple. Simple Contacts lets you renew your expired contact lens prescription and reorder your brand of lenses from your phone or computer in minutes. How does it work? Well, Simple Contacts brings the doctor's office to wherever you are, whenever you need it. You can take the Simple Contacts vision test online in five minutes, just five minutes. A real doctor will then review it and renew your prescription. You save time, you save money, and save yourself a headache. I wish this existed when I wore contacts. If you have an unexpired prescription, just upload a photo of it or your doctor's info and order your lenses in minutes for a great price. They do all the hard work for you. This is vision care for the 21st century. Simple Contacts offers every brand of lenses and their prices are unbeatable. The prescription is just $20. Compare that with an annual appointment, which can be up to $200 with that insurance. They have some of the best prices on contacts and shipping is free. Best of all, you all, you all get 20 bucks off your first Simple Contacts order with this deal coming up. To save $20 on your lenses, go to simplecontacts.com slash not so common and enter the code not so common at checkout. I want to mention that this is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. You'll, st- you'll still need to go to those occasionally, get those done. But this is the most convenient way to renew a prescription and reorder your contacts if your vision has not changed. Again, check out Simple Contacts and get 20 bucks off by going to simplecontacts.com slash not so common or just enter code not so common at checkout. Give it a try. You can thank me later for your renewed prescription. Uh, this is from at Keeping Up Gaming. What's the nastiest encounter you've ever had with a troll online or in real life? Social media just seems to bring out the worst in people. Again, social media. Jesus Christ. Um, the, the, I don't remember most troll encounters. I really don't. Because you, you block them, you mute them, they're gone forever. And they're shouting into a void or whatever. Or say they got one over on you. The only things I remember, I remember when I meet people... When I've met people in real life or interacted with people in some way, enough that I know who they are, that they then come after me at some point over weird shit, um, over weird errors that are either minor or they take out of context or things like that where, where I get surprised. This happened on Twitter a couple times with an individual. This happened on YouTube with someone I met. I think I, think I had too many games a few years back where I knew them enough that I, I learned about their channel and they would start like leaving comments and like little snide little remarks and then starting coming at me and getting emboldened more and more. And it was just weird that that happened. And I, I wonder if there's something going on where sometimes when these people meet you is under the guise of, as being a fan, um, they'll meet you when you have a table at a convention or they'll interact with you as what they think is a fan. But I think in their mind, if, if they're also on YouTube or they're on Twitter and they're doing, and they're in the same genre, they maybe they feel ashamed at some point that they could have been seen by me as a fan, or else they are ashamed just for the for the face of it that they looked at themselves as not as a they weren't looked at as a colleague but as a follower of someone. And so this is their way of rectifying it is to come after you. That's the only way in my head I could justify actions like that, where you meet someone, you're nice to them in person, uh, everything's cool, you take a picture or you sign an autograph, or have a cool interaction with them on Twitter, and it's like, oh, whatever, then at some point they turn on you. Of course, I don't know what, what goes on in people's personal lives. Everyone should be allowed to have a bad day, and that's happened before. People have gone after me on Twitter, and I say, hey, this was kind of douchey, or the, and then they email me and apologize. That's happened, too. It's happened on Facebook as well. And, and, usually, and usually I'm okay with it. Usually I'll unban someone every now and then. 
not always. If you said something really nasty, you can you apologize to me. I still might not ban you. Oh, yeah, you're forgiven, but I don't need to interact with you. You want to social media? I don't. It's not a right. But that's the only things that that I really remember. I do remember a drunken person at MAGFest one year that really bothered me that I yelled at one of the two or three times I ever got upset with someone at a convention to that point. But that was like seven years ago, six years ago. Person was drunk at 11 a.m. I was not as patient as I was now. This is like Pat 2.0. Pat 1.0 had a much shorter fuse, I will say. I've gotten older. I've gotten grayer. You know, I'm burnt out. So I'm a little more mellow when it comes to things. Uh, so that, that's really what I'm going to say. I don't remember 99% of them. I really don't. And finally, this is at uh, at Picard underscore M underscore Maker. Have you ever ha- had to end a friendship slash relationship due to political differences? How do you handle such difference in these extremely divisive, divisive times? Um, I've never had to end a relationship or friendship outright due to political differences. I will say this though. I've had to work my way around certain things with certain individuals, not necessarily change my views, but give people more leeway to espouse their own beliefs or, or their, their own social or political beliefs without me getting an argument with them. Like I just let it go. If I, if I feel someone's going over the edge and I've seen it happen with people I know where they've become more and more over the past couple of years, of course, they've gotten more and more scared with the times they, they feel like, um, things are changing for the worst. And so they'll speak up about it. And I have, you have to get people, uh, you have to let people do that because you cannot, even if you don't totally always agree on the basis of where their thoughts are coming from, you have to at least, uh, validate their emotions at the time and validate that that's coming from a real place at least that if they have worries or concerns that you understand that that's valid like th- th- their their emotions are valid you cannot downplay them you have to understand you have to have empathy uh for people that might have different political or social beliefs than you because they might have a different experience uh, that you don't have and you have to understand that that experience might be valid even if it's different from you so that's something that i hold on to to be sure that even if I have totally different beliefs in someone, first of all, we're all human beings. Our, our day-to-day lives are all similar in some aspects. We all go through, we all have the same, you know, concerns elsewise when it's our friends and family, economic concerns, things of that nature. We all walk in shoes. We put our pants on the same. I would hope. I don't know if you, you jump into pants and get them on two legs instead of one at a time. So you always have to keep grounded in some aspect. And it helps when you meet, and encourage yourself to meet a variety of different people from different backgrounds, ethnicities, uh, socioeconomic classes. And fortunately, I grew up, you know, middle class. I knew some upper class kids and snobs in high school. I knew lower cl- uh, class kids that I hung out with in grade school and otherwise. So there, it ran the gamut. I knew I knew kids of different ethnic backgrounds or races, if races if you want to call it that. Uh, of course, not every kid had that though. So I'm, uh, it's not like I grew up in a totally multi-ethnic neighborhood, but we, we did have some different types of people. So all that together, I think, helped me uh, in order to navigate that into the current times and to be more even-keeled when it comes to things. And probably my psychology background did probably help a little bit uh, as well, and I did uh, take some anthropology classes. So when you also, when you look at things historically, you have to also realize that Historically, we're not in a bad place in our world. 
I, I mean, there's less big wars than we ever had before. There's uh, less people are dying when it comes to plague and, and, and things of that nature and, and disease and starvation. Uh, historically, we're doing okay on planet Earth. We're not perfect, of course, but it's not like what it was, you know, 150 years ago, a few hundred years ago when, you know, people were getting wiped out by, by the hundreds every day with, you know, wars and things of that nature when there was literal wars going on for decades in some countries and, you know, we don't have the Inquisition anymore. So while there's still shitty things that are happening, you know, the arc of justice, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, it's bending the right way. So I'm, I'm really screwing up that, that phrase from, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> but we're going overall in a positive direction little by little. And yeah, there are setbacks that happen. So you have to understand those setbacks affect some people more than others, um, politically, socially, uh, in their eyes. But overall, I think we're getting there. Slowly but surely, you hope. You have to hope. You have to hope that the next generation is going to do better for the screw-ups of the, of, of the current ones and, 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 the, and the, the old guard. Um, so... Again, I've never had to end a relationship. It's gotten testy with people I know who, because, not because of necessarily something I said that might have set them off, but yeah, maybe I triggered people a couple of times when, because of other things going on. And maybe if this was a few years ago, the same things I said, they probably wouldn't have been affected the same way. But I understand that. So, you know, it, you, can't be to- you can't totally abandon, you know, feelings when it comes to things. Um, you, you can't always totally abandon objectivity either, but you can't act like a Vulcan. You can't act like a, like a logic Vulcan when it comes to things where you say, uh, you know, feelings, you know, feelings don't matter. Only facts do No, Feelings matter too, a little bit, at least a little bit. They do because that's how a lot of our lives are predicated upon of our feelings about things, about who the people are we have in relationships about, uh, where, where you want to live, where you want to send your kid to school, what, what job you want to have? Do you want to quit your job? You know, what, what restaurant you want to take out your honey to for an anniversary? Feelings play a lot into everyday life. You know, the fact that you're listening to this and either enjoying this or hating this is based upon a feeling. There's no logical reason to listen to this dumb podcast. Entertainment is not really based on logic when you, when you break it down. A lot of religious beliefs are not based on, on logic if you want to act like a Vulcan. So that's an older conversation about feelings versus facts. It's... It's philosophical. I won't get into it right now. I can get into it more. I won't. I'm going to lay off and people are going to say, call me an SJW for talking about feelings mattering at all. But they do. Logic matters. Rationale matters. They all, everything matters. Think holistically when it comes to these situations. So speaking of illogic, I'm doing a second Super Nintendo book. You can pre-order it. Well, it's not, wait, it's not a second Super Nintendo book. I'm getting past myself. It's the first one. It's the second book. It's a sequel to Ultimate Nintendo Guide to the NES Library. It's Ultimate Nintendo Guide to the SNES Library, not SNES. You can pre-order it and get a few bucks off at UltimateSNES.com. It's going to come out next year. I'll put that logo somewhere here. There's going to be two different covers there. Maybe a third during the Kickstarter if I come up with a special edition version. But UltimateSNES.com. That's it for this Not So Common Podcast. I'm going to be at a few conventions in September. I'm going to be at uh, I'll be at Retro World Expo in Connecticut, a video game con in New Jersey, at the Meadowlands, and then at the end of the month, I'll be in Arlington, uh, Texas, at Retropalooza, my fourth year, I believe. Fourth or fifth. Wow. And go to those websites for more information. I'll be there with other YouTubers. Norm the Gaming Historian will be at a couple of those I'll be at. Probably not rooming with me. I think he's tired of that. <laughs> Andre... Uh, Meadows, Gerard Khalil, the completionist. Uh, this weekend, 
which is Saturday the 25th. Uh, Gerard's going to be doing, by the way, he's going to be doing uh, a, a fundraiser for Alzheimer's research, for Alzheimer's disease. I'm going to, what's the name of it? Uh, they'll be playing all indie games. So this is a cool, cool little venture you should check out. It's going to be starting at August 25th at 12 p.m. Pacific, 30-hour charity stream to fight dementia. Not Alzheimer's, excuse me, dementia. They are related, but they are different. Uh, with tons of special guests and surprises along the way. It's going to be called Indie Land. So check out uh, Gerard's, or that one, Video Gamers, his uh, Twitch channel on Saturday. I'll retweet it uh, as well. And uh, yeah, that's it for this podcast. Uh, subscribe on your podcast platform of choice or, or on YouTube, uh, Podbean, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes. You can like the podcast, leave a comment. And if you really want to help support me in my ramblings, check out my Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Thanks, everyone. I'll see you in two weeks.